Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And the offseason football portion of the offseason is here, Logan. We finally (laughs) reached... OTAs, no more drafts, no more for, I mean, maybe some more free agency, but uh, the main focus now, what can they do on the field to set themselves up for training camp? Uh, By the way, something we'll talk about later in the show is training camp and specifically the joint practices announced. What are the benefits of those? Uh, We will talk about that later in the show. I will say we're recording this on Monday morning. Uh, and so if anything comes out of the NFL's owners meetings, we will talk about it. Uh, of course, I will talk about it on the radio, on the Hoffman show, four to seven on the team, nine eighty Monday through Friday. And if there's anything that's major, we will talk about it on Wednesday's pod, not expecting anything, uh, but just an update perhaps on maybe a timeline around the sale. But Logan, we're going to start with OTAs uh, on the field for the commanders before we get to kind of a larger discussion about the offseason program and how it's evolved over the years, kind of conversation you won't hear anywhere else. But for you, what's the biggest number one headline? Like you walk into the, the bubble or wherever they, you know, if they're practicing outside, wherever they're practicing later this week, what, where do your eyes go immediately? Yeah, so I think it just depends on who you are in the organization, you know, <clears throat> and what you're looking at. So I think if you're a scout, if you're a position coach, obviously it's like talent development and making sure your guys get conceptually what you're doing. You know, specifically the young guys like is Emmanuel Forbes the guy you thought he was? And I know this is OTAs. It's very early in the process. Like we've covered the team for a couple of years now, you for a longer time uh, when you're on the beat, obviously. Um, but like, you know, you want to make sure that that guy you spent the first round pick on is doing what they're supposed to do. Like I remember, uh, you know, Brandon Sheriff is a perfect example. I was here when they drafted him. And I remember in OTAs, you cut to see signs that he wasn't quite ready to play tackle. And I think that kind of started laying the foundation for him and his career saying, well, he's going to be an excellent guard. Um, and so I think that that's a big part of right now. I think if you're Eric Bieniemy, like you're trying to make sure that your installs are sequenced appropriately, that you are coaching it the way you want to coach it, the details there. And this is the foundational piece, right? You know, through the first little bit of OTAs, they start with day one install, like, you know, like phase one and two, they start with day one install, they work through, I think, like day seven or day eight, and they restart the installs. So you really want to make sure that this foundation of knowledge, if you're the offensive coordinator, is super dialed in. So I think it's it's obviously everyone's got different objectives. Um, Yeah, I think for me, if I was going to when I go watch OTA practice, it's going to be, you know, how do the young guys look? 
I, I think the defense is going to look really sharp. And then, you know, how does EB look and how does that offense look and how does Sam Howell look in the context of the offense? Um, and those are kind of, to me, the big things that you, they're not definitively answered during OTAs, but the, the start of that is starting to be answered, I guess, if that makes sense. From my uh, media seat, here's the two that I want. I'll give you one on each side of the ball. One is what's the split of the quarterback reps? Sure. Are they getting Sam Howell? And this is just trying to put a finer point on the the very obviously uh, correct larger points that you just said, right? But if we're going to try to put a finer point on some things, what's the split of the quarterback reps? Are we having a true quarterback competition? Is this a you know 70-30 split? Is it a 50-50 split? Is it a 90-10 split with first team starters? How many of, is Howell getting? How many is Brissett getting? And you know, there's different ways you can do that, right? You can do 100% Sam Howell one day, 100% Jacoby Brissett the next. Like you can just have them alternate being QB1. You can split the reps on any given day. You can, what I think they will likely do is split them like 70, 30, uh, or maybe even heavier towards Howell every day, unless he all of a sudden doesn't look very good. And then you start working Brissett in a little bit more because you're, you know, hedging your bet that Sam's not going to be the guy when you get to August and then you need to get Jacoby ready in this offense. Obviously, that's all part of the larger context of how's the offense being installed? How's Biennemi doing? You know, how is everyone coming along? But to me, like quarterback is the obvious biggest one because it always is. And how they split those reps is important. Uh, I'll let you respond to that real quick. Then I'll get to my my second one, my defensive one. Yeah, and I think that that's... Um... You know, that's important because it's it's not necessarily are they getting the same number of reps. It's how are they splitting the reps with the one group, which is kind of what you're alluding to there, just to kind right. of put a finer point on that. And because, I mean, I really do believe, like, in my heart of hearts, like, having been around for a while and been with veteran quarterbacks, like, Jacoby Brissett will probably look better earlier. I think he'll understand the offense better. I think he'll understand um, kind of what EB is looking for and will be a little bit easier to coach early on because he's just had more exposure NFL offenses. So I think he'll look better earlier. And if, and if they really want to give Sam Howell a fair shake, I think they need to be creative with the reps and make sure he's getting enough opportunity to really show he knows what's going on. You know, so I think that is a very compelling part of OTAs. Is it going to be definitively answered in OTAs? Probably not. But I think that it is definitely something that kind of starts to inform a perspective. You know, like one of the things I've you notice when you cover a team for a, for a while is that like coaches will say something and then the thing that is the most supportive of that is how they their actions on the field. And again, this is the first time you get to see the guys on the field in a while and get to see kind of how the coaches are executing this vision that they've been articulating. Because let's say, for example, they come out and Jacoby Brissett is taking, you know, 60% of the one reps. I think that informs a perspective. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that informs a perspective. So this is a really cool opportunity, to, again, to see that that stuff. So. Yeah, definitely. My second one, my defensive one, if you will, is who shows up on the D line, specifically yeah, the edge players. Right. Yeah. Uh, Montez Sweat, and that's that's often the the sexiest headline this time of year is like so and so wants a new contract. Do they show up to the voluntary portion of OTAs? And you know, I, I think a couple of years ago, Jack Del Rio was pretty ticked when a couple of guys didn't show up. Um, you know, obviously we've seen it last year, Deron Payne. Uh, I mean, he showed up, but he didn't he do came. a whole lot. He just didn't participate, yeah. Right, but I do think like that is significantly more important, or like that is a significant upgrade from not showing up at all, right? Like the yeah. gap between that and like 
you know, playing is like the, the playing stuff is kind of extra for a guy like Payne at this stage of his career. And I would say the same for Montez, but to be in the meetings and, and to be around and to watch your teammates practice and, you know, be able to watch whatever adjustments and coaching points, like dudes had enough physical reps in the NFL at this point. Sure. It, maximizing to get better. Uh, he'd be out there, but he can get, I don't know. You, you tell me. 70, 80%, 90% of what he needs uh, at this point in the offseason just by being there. Um, these are not exactly full speed reps. Uh, so if, if you're just there in the meetings, like you can get most of what you need to get out of May and June. Um, Chase Young's a little bit different story, though. Um, and, and Chase, for a lot of reasons, from kind of adjusting to the speed of the game, starting at an OTA speed and then eventually a training camp speed, a preseason speed, a full, a full, uh, regular season speed. Like he needs to, to climb that ladder, um, gaining confidence of taking, you know, obviously not a lot of contact, uh, as, uh, Ron Rivera had too much contact last year. And that's why they have two less practices this year, but taking some amount of contact and, 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 you know, going through football movements when they get into drills and, and seeing things. And there's also like a leadership element too, right? If, if he's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm a leader on this football team. Okay. Well, you can't lead from California or Denver or wherever else. Like you kind of got to be there. And so if he's going to proclaim these things as part of his upcoming contract negotiations, there's got to be a bit of show me as well. So I, I think it's big for both those guys to be there. I think it's huge for Chase to participate and then for Montez, as long as he's around, like that's good enough for me. And we're going to talk about this in more detail in a second. But I do think it's important that fans understand, like this is not the OTAs of ten years ago or fifteen years ago. This is a really different environment, you know. So I do think, to your point, like how much are they actually getting out of being on the field? Probably not. Definitely not as much as it once was. I'll say that. Um, and you know, is that good or bad? Well, again, we'll talk about that more in more detail in a little bit, but. I do think for a guy like Payne, for him just to show, or Montez, like Montez in this example, if he's just showing up, he's in meetings, he's doing the walkthroughs, he's doing, um, you know, the individual, Payne did all the individual last year, and then he would kind of pick days and do some team, he'll do like team run one day and then just kind of shut it down after that. Like, there's a lot of value there. Just being around your teammates, being around the verbiage, being around what the the defensive vision is. And so I think that that's, that's extremely advantageous. And so I do think like as much as people were, kind of poo-pooing Payne last year. I do think Payne did the right thing. He came to OTAs. He did the stuff he was supposed to do. And like, quite frankly, it's the, I've talked to a couple of my buddies around the league and like, they don't really care if guys participate in OTAs the same way they used to, right? Before it was like, oh my gosh, you're a bad guy. You don't, you know, it's, it's different now. So I agree. I agree that like, um, so I think that's, that's a positive, right? So if Montez comes and is kind of on the sideline with his helmet off for most of it, but he's in the meetings, he's doing that stuff. I think good for, good for, good for Montez, right? If Chase doesn't come, I think if I'm Chase, if I'm his people, if I'm advising him, I, I kind of agree with you, Craig. I think he should be doing some stuff on the field as kind of a, a, like a sign of good faith. And B, just a good way to kind of get your mind back in football. Because, I mean, I think we both can agree. Like, when we watched him last year, he didn't look comfortable, you know. And, and it's hard coming off a very serious knee injury to be comfortable. And one of the things that, you know, like when I do a rehab or when I help with a rehab, it's just getting the athlete comfortable. And here is an environment where it's the, the contact is less, the speed is less, but it is mimicking football activities. And to me, as a rehab person, this is one of the best ways to kind of say, hey, man, your knee's fine. 
right? hundred percent. You don't need to, you don't need to take a thousand reps a day. Take 10, 15 reps a day. Look, man, look at this cut you made. Look at this. Look at this, this stutter move you did on the bull, like all that stuff. And so I think it'd be great for him. Obviously he's going to make his own decision and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does, but I do think that's really compelling. And then in addition to the defensive line, I think the thing that I'm, one of the things I'm most interested in is how they're going to kind of parcel out the reps in the secondary. Like what yeah. is like, like in this dance of musical chairs, like how does it start at least? It, Cause it doesn't, how it starts isn't as important as how it finishes, but I want to see how they're using Quan. I want to see who the Buffalo nickel is. I want to see how they're using Jamin and um, uh, the guy from Seattle. What's his name? Oh the, yeah, uh, the guy that they signed. Yeah, whatever. Corey, Corey. Yeah, but anyway, Cody Barton. Cody Barton. Cody Barton. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, so, Cody. We'll get yes. your name. We promise. Yeah, but but how they but how they allocate that stuff? Who's playing the post? Who's playing the nickel? Because I I really think like if that group comes together and is 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 better than kind of the sum of its parts, which I think an addition like Quan Martin allows you to do. Like this defense could be scary good, and I think this is the foundational piece for that. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, th- this if this team's good this year, like obviously Sam will have to play at a certain level, or Jacoby's in. Like the quarterback play has to be can't be subpar. But if this if this team's like genuinely really good, it's because their defense is top five, right? Um, and, and, and I think they have the pieces of, to get that yeah. done, like which is crazy. Yeah, I agree. I know I a hundred percent agree, especially if Jamin is a lot. You know, starts at the Jamin he ended last year with and right. grows upon that. Um, even maybe starts ahead of that because he's got another offseason under his belt. If Barton is a good player, obviously the D line and Chase is a huge part of that. Like if if Chase comes to play as Chase bleeping young, like yeah. this defense could be scary. Um, Along those lines, like kind of as a wrap-up point to all those things, to the chase point, to the secondary point. By the way, who's starting? Uh, is it Forbes? Do they just go ahead and be like, yeah, yeah. we know that's how it's going to end. Go ahead and put them on the outside. Or do they kind of give the veteran hat tip to Kendall and, and BSJ and let those guys start on the outside? But in general, like unlike the NBA and basketball, right, uh, or even baseball to an extent, like you can simulate the game pretty easily, right? Baseball, you can get in in a cage and simulate live pitching. The hardest thing is like simulating fielding situations. Um, but like baseball is such an individualized sport, you can do the things you need to do. Mm-hmm. Guys play pickup all summer long in the NBA. There's incredible runs in yeah. Los Angeles and New York and Miami where like NBA players are playing not NBA caliber basketball, but pretty close to it all summer long in order to get ready for their seasons. You don't simulate football. Like, it's just not a thing. Like, you can do all the individual drills, and, like, you and I b- have both worked with NFL players in the offseason, like, trying to get them ready. You can you can simic- or mimic a lot of movements. You can, you can mimic some conditioning type of situations. You can mimic a lot of stuff, but you can't simulate 11-on-11 11 11, what it's like when there's 21 other guys running around you, and you have 11-on-11 11 11 periods, and even, to you know, 7-on-7 seven seven is, is kind of a, a stepping stone to that. Uh, or, you know, whatever, your nine on sevens, all that stuff. You have those things in OTAs. And so for a guy like Chase specifically, getting out there and simulating that and not being on bags and cones, I think is an essential step in the rehab process. So I I think that actually transitions nicely to what we're going to talk about next. But um, to me, like, that's why it's, you know, Chase and Montez, for instance, are in different ones and why for the defensive backs, like getting these reps in and and trying the different combinations now 
is essential because you've just got to try as much as you can in these extremely limited reps and give yourselves as coaches as much information as possible to decide, you know, whether it's a contract situation like Chase or who's going to be on the field in, in the defensive back situation. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because to me, <clears throat> when you're when you're when you're training for football, it's more similar to MMA than it is to like another field sport. And what I mean by that is like you can't get out there and spar all the time. You just can't do it, right? So there, you got to kind of be creative in the off season about you know ramping intensities, working different stuff. And I you know I train uh, Morgan Moses, kind of help him out in the off season because he lives in the area still. And we do a lot of you know special strength exercises for offensive line. And it's, a, and it's a position on the field that really relies on that. And I was talking to Mo, and he's like, man, I really love how this gets me in a good spot. But ultimately, like, I go to OTAs to, like, fine-tune the mechanism, right? Because you, you're lined up across from other guys. So it's like, am I oversetting? Like, how do I have to sit on my punch? And it's just you can't – as much as you try to mimic that, it's always going to be kind of low definition compared to the high definition of even OTAs. So I do think that, um, you know, like, to your point, it's – like this is while this is still it, this is not what it once was OTAs. It's still an important part of just kind of getting guys ready for training camp, getting them ready for this season, and um, and so yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson, played 10 years in the NFL. I'm Craig Hoffman, covered the Commanders for five years on the beat, now host a daily radio show on the Team 980, if you don't know. And if you're new to the podcast, you might not also know that Logan and I also, in our, our spare time, uh, so much free time that we both have, uh, our strength coaches. So Logan, uh, you know, started that pursuit uh, at the end of his playing career and, and has continued that at a high level. I've been training people for almost eight years now uh, of all different, all different stripes, uh, all different levels. But, uh, you know, we kind of wanted to bring that side of our brains to discussion about OTAs, Logan. And, and you called me a little bit before we started recording here and, and pitched this idea. And I love it because I, I think it's pretty fascinating how OTAs in the off season has evolved over the years. And, the idea was you take out contact, you reduce injuries, and the results are mixed depending on who you ask. And right. there's been different years and the types of injuries change and, and all that stuff. But generally speaking, uh, I know you've been having some conversations with folks around the league and, and they think, you know, overall their injury rates are down. Uh, and that that means mission accomplished. But right. what are the pros and cons of, of how 
uh, the offseason has changed. And then we can get into some of the best practices and, and ways to make sure that guys are ready mentally and physically for the season under the new rules. Yeah, so I think it's important to just kind of understand what it was. You know, like when I first got in the league, like, you know, that's 2010. This was old CPA. It was one year under the old CPA. And Mike Shanahan was the head coach. And he did a good job of taking care of you. But taking care of you under old CBA, this is what it looked like. For our rookie minicamp, right, we came in and we had a practice at 4.30. Like, basically right when the sun peaked up over the trees, the rookies would be on the field. And we'd have a two-hour practice. Boom, right there oh. against each other, against all the rookies, right? So you can't do <clears throat> you can't do team. You can't do – you can do a little seven-on-seven, seven, right? You can do like nine-on-seven, which are kind of different, you know, drills where you're – you know, nine-on-seven is a blocking drill. Seven-on-seven is a throwing drill. But you're not using all 11 guys, right? And we do that for like an hour and a half, two hours. We'd come in, we'd have breakfast, and we'd go to meetings. We'd meet for a couple hours. And then we'd come back out for practice with the team. And obviously, as rookies, we didn't get as many reps in that practice, but we were on the field. We did an individual. And, you know, I'd get 10 reps in that practice, which is pretty good. It's not an insignificant amount. We'd go back in. We'd have lunch. We'd meet again. And then we'd have a walkthrough. And a lot of teams would treat that as a second practice. And walkthrough under Mike was basically like a – he called it a full-speed walkthrough. So, like, you would sprint. You would block. You just didn't have your helmet on and everyone kind of worked a different tempo, but it was like a two hour activity. And so that's what old OTAs used to be, right? They could basically do whatever they wanted. And if you juxtapose that to now, which is kind of like you get there at eight and you have six hours in the building. So you have meetings in the morning, you have a practice, which is very highly governed by the NFLPA. You know, we just talked about how Ron lost sessions and then you have a kind of a a conclusion meeting and then you're out of the building, you're out of the building like two. I compare that to what I did as a rookie, which is you're in at like f- approximately 5 a.m. and then you're leaving at like 7, you know, like that's in the yeah. off season. So very, very different. And a lot of people, I think, you know, like it depends on who you talk to. You talk to agents, right? I think a lot of agents with guys who have young players in the NFL, they get a little bit worried because it's like it makes it really you don't have the same rep volume to develop young talent. Right. And I understand that. But as an older guy. You know, and I, you mentioned I've talked to a couple of people around the league, like strength coaches, and they they mentioned that despite this drastic decrease in offseason prep, their injury rates have gone down a little bit going into the season and through the season. And I think one of the things I wanted to bring up with you, Craig, is that, you know, training volume, in my opinion, is one of the highest indicators or highest risk factors for injury. Right. And so are you are they just have they just done a good job of saying, don't go crazy with the training volume in the offseason, letting the athlete recover. And then here's your 18 week period where you're really going to get banged up. And then we have a longer offseason period to recover. Cause you know, like George Kittle said this, LaDainian Tomlin said this, like every week it's like getting in a car crash. And I can attest to that. It's just like you come out of that game feeling like you've never felt before in a bad way. And is that stress of season so high that you need the full offseason to kind of be relatively chill to make sure you're fully recovered. And right now, the early early return on investment, because this is a relatively new process, is that the injury rates are slightly lower. So again, like I know people freak out about this, but it might be benefiting the players long term. Yeah. This will stun you, Logan, but I have a lot of thoughts. I will try to can yeah, I'll no, try to try to that's try to doing it. Thoughts. Yeah, make them make them, you know, one at a time so we can kind of go through it. 
Um, okay, let me ask you this first to make sure I'm not just throwing numbers at the wall here. If the season is a 10, right, in terms of yeah. intensity, your RPE, your rate of perceived exertion is 10. 10. What was the, the Shanahan days OTA like? So for me, as a rookie trying to make the team, like, and this is, I know people say this, and I'm not being hyperbolic here. My agent was like, treat every single day like a game. And you better believe I did. So it was, it was full contact. Like I was trying to finish guys. I was going as hard as I could. And you can ask any defensive guy that I played with. I was a psycho. I might've been a little bit of an outlier there, but I was ramped like that in practice. Now the game is a little bit higher. The crowd's there, the opponent's yeah, there. Adrenaline. So it, let's it, say it was a nine. Yeah. Like I was like maybe eight, eight and a half, eight, something like that. Okay. Like I was, I was pushing it though, for sure. So you, you, let's, let's say the average guy, it's, it's an eight under yeah. the old system, seven and a half, eight, somewhere in there. Right. And the current one is a five, a four, six, yeah. somewhere five, in there, six, four yeah. to six, uh, depending on who you are. You know, if you're Trent Williams, it's probably like a two. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's the benefit of being Trent Williams. Right. So I, I think if you realize that though, that's the scale of intensity, there is something to the entire off season to recover. Yeah. I think there's probably more to it though that if you try to take that recovery seriously from January, February, March, depending on when your season ended, uh, yeah. for some folks, it's just February, March, and then April, you're kind of starting to get back on the field a little bit. And then by May it's there. Did you really ramp up properly that's a to, great point. to May? Right. And, and that's essentially what we're going to wind up talking about here is kind of that ramp period. And I referenced it earlier with Chase. If Chase can work at a six now, uh, seven in Mini seven and a half in training whatever. camp, eight, eight and a half in preseason, and then he's ready to go, you know, first couple of weeks, maybe he's only still performing at a nine, but you know, that's, he's just getting adjusted first couple of weeks of the season. And then he's, he's humming at 10 by week three. That's good. And by the way, Chase Young at a nine, if he's Chase Young, is a pretty really, you know, ridiculously good football player. Um, but you know, if you are, at a one and a two, because you need to recover from the season. You need to rebuild. You know, we we typically put our athletes through a phase zero and when they come out of the season, right? Uh, meaning that you are doing strict recovery and um, kind of restorative exercises. You're doing a lot of corrective exercises coming out of the season because you've been banged up. You've been uh, dealing with pain, and maybe your squat is your squat pattern is off because you've been compensating for an ankle that doesn't feel very good and thus isn't as mobile as it was uh, or as we'd like it. So we give you a couple of weeks uh, of deload. We, we really work on that ankle mobility. We let that ankle heal. And, and then you start to build back up into phase one, that base building phase two, trying to put some muscle back on phase three, start to turn that muscle into strength and power and on up the list until you get to your final like phase six, which is explosiveness, right? That's yeah. kind of how, um, you know, we, I say we, the, the train with the best Onyx elite method, uh, that, that Chris <laughs> Gore is my co-host on the train with the best podcast, who is like Lorenzo Alexander's trainer, for instance, right. um, Randall Cobb worked with him. He's worked with Kerrigan. He's worked with a bunch of guys over the years. Like that's how he would phase out an off season is, is really at seven phases because zero, you know, zero through six, but that's kind of how that that would go. And if you're only at phase three by May and all of a sudden you're being, you're asking your body to perform at 10 yeah. or an eight and a half or nine, then you're probably going to get hurt in OTAs. It's not necessarily getting hurt during the season. It's like, there are just less reps available 
where you are asking your body to do something it's not capable of. And by the way, more full speed, high impact collisions in May yeah. that guys are getting hurt on. And so if you take those away, there's just less chances to get hurt. You're not asking your body to do things it's not capable of yet because you're not at that phase of training. And by the time you get to August where we really want to peak, like we always tried to get, um, or Chris, I should say, always try to get Lorenzo like in, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily ready for the season, but ready for preseason right. by the time he went to training camp. Right. And, and so if you have the time to do that and, and periodize it out properly, I think you're just going to see a ton less injuries. And, and that is, that's kind of the physical side of it. Um, sure. and then there's a mental side I want to talk about as well, but we can get there in a second. Yeah. Let me just uh, elaborate on that. So like, I think what, like what, so something that I would notice is that I would, so when training camp was really hard, like train, I'm talking just training camp, like right. so this, back this, in the two a days, like, yeah, all that kind so of stuff. this is like old CBA. I wasn't like physically right. I'm not even, this is not an exaggeration. So probably like week five or six, four or five, excuse me. So like, I was so beat up from training camp that I was in like, I would say this like higher environment of like injury risk for like four or five weeks because training camp, I mean, listeners who played high school football or played college, like the two days were no joke. And imagine taking that with like the alphas of the alphas for two days in the NFL and just beating the ever loving crap out of each other for four weeks. Like you came out of that just totally broken down and the off season was kind of the same way. And they gave you this like month before season and like, you know, think about it. We were doing like a 10 week, something like, was it 10 weeks, 11 weeks off season of just ramping, you know, and then you get a month off and I hate to break it to you. That's not enough time to recover from like, you know, the, 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 the sprained elbow, the, the messed up knee, the ankle, the shoulder, then go right into the training camp then go right into season. So like, I do think like in retrospect, thinking back on it, that the, the training volumes accrued in the off season and training volume here where, you know, obviously there's the weight room, excuse me, but there's also, you know, the practice that's a training stimulus. And so yes. that just, so we were actually going, like, if you really thought about it, like it was almost like year round of like pretty heavy hitting in the off season. And something that I noticed when I got in the year, I think it was year four or five, like I, my off season, I couldn't lift the same way I wanted to. Like, and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm not pushing hard enough. And I think it was just accumulated fatigue, quite honestly, from four years of playing NFL football. And I never letting the elbow heal or never letting the wrist heal, never letting the neck get right, whatever it was. And so I do think that this period of kind of like, let's put the brakes on the off season while old heads, like when this first happened, I hated this, Craig. I thought this was the dumbest thing ever. Cause it's like, how am I going to get better? But in reality, like when I kind of step back and take a look at it, I'm like, it actually is probably better, like longitudinally for guys, because like, yeah. it just it keeps you fresher, you know, and I, I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up is like, before old CBA, like, you could lift weights, like pretty much the whole offseason with the club, right? You could be here the whole time, lifting weights. And now they've really limited that to about, I think it's six weeks now, five weeks, something like that. And you know, and I know, and now the listeners hopefully will know that that is not enough time to cultivate a, a longitudinal adaptation, right? A normal training block is like 12 to 14 weeks, you know, approximately. Yeah, depending on the adaptation, right, but yeah. Right, about. And so to get six weeks, like your muscles will adapt, but your tendons aren't quite there. So like, why am I going to take this for this six weeks and then go into this heavy football? It's okay to kind of, like you said, slowly ramp up. So I think fans... They think, oh, this is soft. This is the uh, blah blah. But I do think that it is the appropriate ramping. We talked about MMA, right? 
We were yeah. we were putting gloves on with no headgear and straight throwing punches <laughs> at each other. Old CBA, like that's what we were doing. Yeah. And now this is a little bit more of a of a of a build, a slow burn to that fire that is the season. Right, right. And you need that time to to build up that muscle adaptation and and you know rebuild. I mean, that's the other thing too is like you lose weight during the season, like you yeah. you lose strength, you lose power. I will say one of the things that that was super impressive that I saw during my time is guys who were able to peak at the end of the season. Like Josh Norman, say what you want about how yeah. he played when he was here, but that dude was available. Um yeah. and he I'm trying to remember what year. It might have been his last year here, honestly. Day after the season, he PR'd his like bench press. Mm. And you're just like, he took wow. care of his body. He took right. his lifting seriously. Like he, he periodized in, in his mind, you know, obviously they didn't make the playoffs, but in his mind, he's like, I'm going to peak for the playoffs. A and that's the level of detail that, you know, I think players should be thinking about this stuff with and, and strength coaches and, and try to, but there are so many limitations. It's really hard. I will say this though, the biggest single biggest, uh, factor in injury reduction is mental processing. Mm -hmm. If you get yourself caught in bad positions, you're going to get hurt. And that is these, and that's across sports, right? Sure. Uh, Non-contact injuries, you know, things like that. Or in the case of the NFL, like you make a mental mistake, get caught the wrong way, get blindsided. Um, or, you know, you get yourself cut block or, you know, you're not aware of someone diving at your legs. Like those kinds of things happen because you're not mentally in it. And that's why a guy, like a Trent Williams can go at a one or two in, in the, the preseason. Like he's, he's able to just right. see the game, think the game so much better and be ready. But it's why, for instance, in the NBA, like LeBron James may be the smartest player to ever play the game. He has largely been healthy over a 20 year career. And some of his injuries that he has had have been bad luck. Like he slipped on a wet spot on a floor. There was nothing he could do about that. He right. just caught bad luck and strained his adductor. Like those types of things are going to happen. But the best players are the best players because they are the smartest players and they typically are available because they are the smartest players. And I, I think that that gets into a really interesting question about OTAs and injury prevention because part of what you're trying to do during OTAs is get your guys ready for the season immensely. Sure. Do you do the decision? You know, do they know the plays? Do they know the routes? Do they know, are their bodies prepared to make the cuts and do all the things they need to do and do them on balance and good body position? So one that obviously goes to, do you work with whether it's a private trainer or does your strength staff train cutting train, you know, the mechanics of movement stuff that you do exceptionally well, uh, and you're training with a guy like Morgan, you know, people that follow you on Instagram have seen the videos of making sure that Morgan's in a good body position for that punch, all those right. kinds of things. Um, but it's also, do you train decision-making? You know, we, yeah. we, we use a product called, called blaze pods, right? Um, and people have probably seen these in various things. If you watch like drive to survive the formula one show on Netflix, a lot of them uh, yeah. use this for warmups, right? And it's just a light series of like reactive type of stuff. And whether it's using a tool like that or just simply like if I say one go right, if I say two go left or make it odds and evens, you make it colors and uh, uh, and fruits. Like if I if I scream out banana, you're like you're going to go right, if you know, and, and using things like that to practice for an option route for receivers. Yeah. Right. Those individual decision making and training the decision making and reactive type of things and the more game like you can make it is going to make your athletes more resilient to injury because they're prepared to move like they will in the game. And that to me is the biggest question about OTAs and the lack of intensity is 
how much are you actually simulating game movements so that players are ready for game situations? And I think finding the right balance between training volume and mental preparedness is the sweet spot for the NFL. And that's one where I wonder if they've gotten it quite right yeah. or is there still tweaking to do? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, you know, like, for example, and I think we talked about this on the phone when I called you earlier, like, um, so one of the one of the reasons they adopted this model is because like rugby league, leagues in the UK adopted a similar model. Like you couldn't tackle I forget the exact rule, but you couldn't tackle someone without a bag in a rugby in a rugby practice for like a certain amount of time in the offseason. And so they they did that and that was fine. But what they noticed is that there was a, a big increase in guys breaking their arms. Right. Because like in a rugby tackle, like you got to kind of get in there in a specific way and guys would get like a, a knee to the to the bicep and they'd break mm -hmm. their upper arm, break their humerus or whatever. And so that was a big thing for a while. Right. And then they had to kind of change their offseason approach. They said, oh, well, we can kind of it, it was no tackling. That was it. They, they weren't allowed to tackle. And they then they had this whole industry develop around rugby of like developing tackling traits in the offseason while not actually hitting a person. And I think that you're kind of walking this line and you keep referencing Trent Williams, which I think is excellent. But for a guy like Trent Williams, the offseason skill acquisition is not that important to him because this is what his 13th year in the NFL. Like Correct. he has seen everything. He's done everything. Correct. He's, exactly. He's got it all in the CPU. I think it's more important for younger guys, right? And I think, yeah. and, and, well, again, and that's what I was saying, right? Trent yeah. can go at a one or two intensity yeah. because he doesn't need the reps guys. Right. That, and, and you know, a slow speed rep for Trent is good enough to keep it fresh sure. versus like, can you make that decision at NFL speed? If you are someone who's never seen NFL speed, cause you're a rookie. Absolutely. And I think so. So that's a huge thing. And then like, you know, when we say there's been an injury reduction, like when you talk to these strength coaches, one of the things that they they are so concerned with soft tissue soft tissue injuries, right? And that makes sense. Volume's way down, the body's not as stressed. You're following kind of a nice progression into the season, these high intensity things, right? So that makes sense. But my question is like, you know, what are the what are the numbers specifically with regards to ACL or concussion, right? Because like one of the things about you know off season work earlier is that I always felt like I knew exactly where my head needed to go to not get super dinged, right? Because we were getting like full speed reps in practice. I'm talking just blocking even, right? So how, mm -hmm. as a tackler, like I'm sure there's some carry over there. And then ACL injury, you mentioned that kind of reactive element. Like that's where you get a little bit dicey. You get your feet, your 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 rhythm and timing isn't lined up. So it'd be interesting to say like, just, it's, it's easy to say there's been a, a reduction in injury because a, I'm sure there has been. B, you're not practicing as much, so there's going to be a natural reduction in injury anyway. But like, how does it affect some of those other bigger, um, bigger activities? Um, you know, bigger injuries more specifically with regards to the offseason because of some of that kind of neurocognitive stuff that you're doing to kind of get in the right positions and things like that. So I, I do think it's interesting, and I'm not sure they've got it figured out exactly just yet. You know, the NFL, the NFLPA. But, you know, I think when you kind of take a thousand foot view and take some of these statistics that these teams are offering, you know, the old heads that are like, man, this is too soft. I think, you know, um, it is benefiting the players, it, uh, you know, at least on this kind of thousand foot view of the information that's available. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll add, too, is like coaches have to adjust too. you know, yeah. if, if you if you're like, I need 12 weeks to install my offense. Sorry, you don't get it. Yeah. How effective can you be in six weeks? Like you have to make decisions as a coach of what to prioritize and what's important. And I'd rather have, you know, uh, pared down something executed extremely well 
than a 12 weeks worth of offense executed like crap because we can only add six weeks to install it. Like, and I think that's, other, that's super important. The other thing, I'm glad you brought that up because it also applies to coaching. And I think it does value, you know, obviously install. It, it's clear because you can't have 12 days of install because you only have nine practices, right? So do you mush them right. together or whatever? But also, like, I've got agents telling me, man, I really want my offensive lineman to go to Cleveland. And I'm like, why would you possibly want that? It's because Bill Callahan's there, and he's developed a system of developing offensive tackles given the shorter time constraints, right? He has this really specific methodology for getting these guys ready to play football seasons and getting them technically ready, getting them mentally ready. And I think that that becomes more valuable in this new CBA. Like, how do you program as a position coach, which is something that you didn't have to do, to get the guys ready for the demands of season, given the restrictions placed on you, right? So if you watch anything Bill Callahan does, there's all these bands and bags and sandbags to help the body of the offensive lineman kind of get used to those big force numbers without actually going against another person. And I think he's done an excellent job of that. So I think you're going to see some cool innovation, you know, from offensive coordinators, from position coaches to get guys ready. And I think it becomes the positions that require more contact it becomes more complicated. But for receivers, for example, and I think this is maybe one of the reasons you see receiver play at you know an all-time, all-time high in the NFL is because you can go out and run routes every day, right? You right. can go out and do that yeah. almost every single day. It's the D-line, the offensive line, the linebackers, the tight ends, where you've seen a little bit of a degradation in terms of overall skill when it comes to blocking, taking on blocks, because you don't get to do it as much. And the teams that are really good, the Callahans, for example, that have a methodology to get those guys there become more and more valuable. So I think that's that's also kind of an interesting point of this offseason thing. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Bill, though, um, he because is, people that he's a psycho, no doubt. Well, I, I would say one because people that uh, <laughs> that remember me covering Bill would be like, Craig, didn't you say some stuff about this? Yeah. I don't think he I think the methods he uses to get them ready are great. I think he doesn't understand that eventually they're ready and you need to stop. Yeah. I think and he's that, was, that was that was an issue. I, I would think, imagine. Yeah, because like, you know, like I remember talking to Sheriff, and this is 100% to your point, is, you know, he was taking, gosh, it was like something like 400 reps during training camp, which is a three-week period, in addition to all the special strength stuff that he was doing on the field with them. So he gets them out right. 30 minutes beforehand. They stay 15 Correct. minutes later. And we just talked about how like the number one indicator for injury you know, when it comes to programming is training volume and you just keep pouring more volume onto these guys and you're going to have injuries. And I think there's, it's not a coincidence that while he was here, you know, um, Mo had a lot of injuries, Laval had a yes. lot of injuries, Sheriff had Trent, a lot of injuries. So yeah, I think, I think it's, and, and again, but then you go to Matt Scow and Matt Scow is kind of this veteran coach who didn't have like this methodology for developing young players. So I do think you need to kind of reside in a little bit of both worlds, like knowing where, like knowing that my guy is now Trent Williams, a 13 year vet, he doesn't need to be doing this crazy band work at the same volume as the guy that just came in. Right. So exactly correct. And also it's different in week three versus week 15. 100%. Right. Yep. And I will go, I, I will close out this segment, uh, with a little soccer, uh, sprinkle here because I think soccer does an incredible job, the strength coach and kind of the, the culture of how strength coaching is in soccer they try to keep their entire team at similar volumes at all times. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a professional soccer game and the final whistle blows, you will likely see 
uh, players that came on as substitutes and the ones that didn't go and run after the game. And what they are trying to do is it's not like, obviously you can't go simulate playing 90 minutes, but they have GPS data on all the players and they realize kind of how much high speed running and pure sprinting is done. They've come up with tests to say like, okay, you need to cover X amount of yards and X amount of seconds in order to replicate that. We know that the average player at this position does nine 60 yard sprints during a game. So after the game, it, let's say that position, and I'm making up these numbers, right? Um, but let's say it's, it's a midfielder does nine 60 yard sprints during a game. Afterwards, they will take their midfielders and say, you have nine 60 yard sprints. If someone came on as a substitute and did four of them during the game, which they have the GPS tracking data to tell, then that player will do the first five and then they'll go walk off and start signing autographs for the fans. Like that, that kind of equity and equality over the course of your roster to understand this is where every player is at versus putting every player through the same exact thing is what actually works. Because then, you know, if Trent Williams gets or Brandon Sheriff gets a hundred reps in practice, that's a hundred reps. You need to take off them in the post-practice stuff. Like you don't, or like, Hey man, you're good. You're done for today. And I don't know, you know, there's so much different data in football that would be like, okay, are we talking about like 20 mini little shuffles of your feet for an offensive lineman? No, like there's not, there's not the same like sprint level data, but there, there should be some, some like parallel, uh, whether it's anecdotal or like hard data based off the chips and the GPS and all that kind of stuff that is available to coaches that a good position coach and strength staff collaborating under a, you know, a head coach should be able to do to, to maximize performance and minimize injury risk and kind of keep everybody all at the same level at all times so that the players are ready if they're called upon and not overworked for when they're the starter. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously culture has a long history of like matching GPS data. And I think coaches in the NFL are getting more aware of how important that is, but it is a slow process. Like there's been a long standing history with rugby, with um, soccer, using the GPS data overseas and football, again, probably because of some of the limitations you've described, you really have three different types of athletes on the field. You've got these sprinters, you've got these big guys, you've got these mid guys that the volumes for each one of them, they, they can't be the same, right? Because you can't run, the O-line can't run with the receivers and the, and the receivers can't block with the O-linemen, right? So that finding that kind of like middle way, you know, I think has been really interesting. And, and when you go to the combine and you talk to coaches, position coaches, strength coaches, like this is a huge, huge point of conversation about what is the right way to get it done. And everyone's got their own thing. And the other thing is you're all doing this in an effort to mitigate injury risk but the problem is you're playing a contact sport, so you can't mitigate those injuries. So, like, it's, it's again, if, you, if you're a listener and you have an idea about this, you can make billions of dollars if you have the right approach to this. <laughs> Leave us a message. We'll take credit for it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. But yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll help you get it to the right people and uh, share some money. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think um, that's something just to kind of keep in mind with the whole – whole off-season, whole in-season data monitor. We can talk about that more later when season gets around, but just to kind of give an overview of, of the OTA process and how it's changed and how it might be beneficial to players. Yeah, and like, for example, I remember at the end of training camp practices, sometimes they would 
put everybody on the line and you know you have to run you know the only difference is o-line wouldn't run as far as the mid guys and then the the skill position guys had to run the farthest right yeah. like to and me it's changed. like okay they used to everyone used yeah. to be the same right and that yeah so you have that okay that's progress of like okay the o-linemen don't need to run quite as far uh that's that's probably dangerous you don't need anyone pulling a hamstring but it's also like it's kind of pointless like that's not really conditioning like that that in no way is that preparing you for football but what you can do is have fun with it right let's take the guys who need the extra conditioning um because they didn't get as many reps during practice not because they're out of shape right because they they didn't get the extra reps in practice and let's play a game of uh red light green light yeah. at the end of practice right? right and that way it's competitive you're working on reaction times you're working on stopping and starting and like i'd rather play a game of red light green light to simulate like oh well this is getting us ready for two minute drill than i would all right everybody on the line you got 15 yeah. seconds to run to your spot <sighs> whistle like that's pointless yeah that's that that's not good red light green light that's fun <laughs> and, and by the way your guys are also probably going to enjoy it a lot more and like having fun is kind of important too during the dog days of training camp where everyone sure. you know is is miserable because it's 100 degrees out and you're hitting each other and hitting the same dudes every single day i agree absolutely take command podcast from odyssey sports i'm craig hoffman he is logan paulson announced last week for the commanders that they will do a couple of joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens ahead of their preseason game. That's the Monday night football game, or I don't even know if it's on a Monday night, but it's the ESPN game. Yeah, uh, of course, Logan. Yeah, of course, Logan and B Mitch and Chick will be on the call. We don't get to be on the call because it's a national. Oh, I was going to say for yeah. the other two games. Yes, for the uh, other games. Mo Monday, 8 o'clock. I think that's August 21st off the top of my head. Uh, thank you, Nick, for the note. But the the joint practice uh, is, Logan, were you a part of any of them during your career? And why are they so beneficial? Because I certainly have my theories, but I was never a part of one outside of watching uh, Trent Williams nearly kill a guy uh, against the Jets and making sure that I got out of the way before that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated joint practices as a player. I absolutely despised them. Because, like, you know, we talked about how you're kind of always – or I was always operating in, like, this 8, 9, 10 range, even in off season. You know, I was always stressed out, always worried about whether I was going to make the team. And here was this thing where they're adding, like, a game environment. And it's even more stressful because you don't always know the tempo. You don't always know what people are looking for. And so I think that that was something that uh, I hated. I absolutely hated it. But being on this side of the, the microphone, this side of the veil, um, you know, evaluating guys, you know, in the draft, evaluating free agents, things like that. This is an invaluable piece of seeing like where your team is at. And uh, this used to be kind of what preseason was for. But people are so worried about guys getting hurt in preseason. Now they have these joint practices, which allow you to say, hey, we're going to work red zone concepts against another team. We're going to work third down uh, concepts against another team, two minute, four minute first and second down and kind of see where our offense is at and see how our personnel line up against another team. And so I, I think that, you know, even though as a player, I, I, I couldn't have hated anything more as a coach, as a scout, as a front office person, these are really, really valuable pieces to kind of say, this is actually where our team is at. And if you think about the last couple of years, you know, Kimes brought this up on his show. I've talked about him about this with him a couple of times, just on the phone. And, you know, like one of the reasons they start slow is oftentimes guys are kind of in misrepresented roles. 
And I think a big part of that misrepresented role is that you didn't flush out your evaluation, right? Um, and again, the preseason games are totally different. You get guys like the Rams, for example, who don't play any of their starters. So you're going to look great against those guys. But now in this joint practice context, like I get to practice against Lamar. I get to see what that looks like. I get to, you know, um, you know, go against a true starting right and left tackle uh, of Baltimore and go against a very good defense and say, oh, okay, you know, this is a problem. If they bring this this three-week pressure, like how do we handle that? And you can kind of evaluate, get all that evaluation flushed out. So I think it's a, it's an excellent move. It's going to be annoying for the players. It's probably going to be annoying for the coaches on some level because they got to go out to Baltimore and have a couple of days away from the family. But from a team-building, roster-building standpoint, very, very valuable piece. I think it's a pretty essential part of getting ready for a season. If I was a coach, I would try to do it literally every year. Yep. I would also try to do it early-ish because I think the the biggest downside of joint practices is there's always fights. And part of that is going back to what we just kind of talked about where at the end of, you know, it's like three weeks of OTAs, four weeks of OTAs, you've just kept hitting the same dudes and you're kind of getting sick of, of practice. It's a hundred degrees. That's how it used to be down in Richmond. Obviously it's uh, only 95 here, uh, although it's pretty swampy in Ashbury. Yeah. Um, so like, you're just, you're just beaten down and cranky and, you know, you're sitting in meetings all day and, and two a day practice, you know, even if it's one to walk through, it's like, do I really want to be outside at 4 PM in the sun walking through in a bucket hat? Like you're just, everything's annoying at yeah. that stage. And so you finally get a chance to hit someone that's not in, in another Jersey. You, you finally get a chance to take that out uh, a little bit. And inevitably someone says something, someone hits a little too hard. Someone does something and there's a massive brawl and it happens almost every joint practice session. And so I would try to do it a little earlier if I was a coach. Um, I'd also try to make sure the practice is structured so that it peaks towards the end and we don't have too much chirping and too many opportunities for things to go sideways early. And because what always happens is you wind up getting a day and a half of practice at yeah, best, right? Right. You, you end that practice and, and it's just like, all right, we're done because a bunch of dudes are ready to kill each other. And there was just a big front meal brawl and we can't possibly think about starting again. Um, by the way, ask Mo what he did to a Gatorade machine next time you see him on a, what, after the Jets joint practice. What did he do to the Gatorade machine? Uh, I think you should just ask Mo. I'll ask Mo about when I see him. Yeah, and uh, see what he tells you. And then you uh, can report back on the pod. But like I, that, that to me is the only concern. Outside of that, it's a chance to see different looks. It's a chance to see different schemes. It's a chance to evaluate your players against not your own, which can, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, our defense looks great. It's like, oh crap, our defense actually wasn't great. Our offense was terrible. Right. Um, that was kind of the 2019 team. Um, and so you just have these thoughts of like, this is who we are and you don't have a measuring stick. I don't understand why you wouldn't want that measuring stick every year as a nice reality check for you. And especially if you can come up with a system that ultimately limits the big downside, which is the brouhaha that inevitably happens at the end of every joint practice session. Yeah, and I, I really think it's going to test you. Touch it tests your coach's leadership. You know, I did uh, two or three joint practices in my time, and um, you know, I got in fight big, huge brawls in two of them, and then in the one where we had against New England, there was no, there was not even a hint of a fight. And I think because Bill Belichick was just governing that thing with an iron fist, and I think. You know, like no offense to Jay, I like Jay a lot, but when he when we had a joint practice against Houston, you know, Bill O'Brien is the head coach for the other team, and 
you know, he's like, you know, it was on hard knocks. So each day it was like, oh, they beat, they beat us on the first day. That was Jay saying us. So then guys are like, okay, we got to go out and practice harder. And then we beat them on the second day. And then they, he's like, well, we're not having guys who are out here, Bill O'Brien, who are going to look like this on film. So guys don't want to get embarrassed. And all of a sudden it's, it went from kind of this mutual helping each other out, which is a tough practice anyway, to now it is a game and there is no regulation here from like officials or anything like that. And inevitably there's going to be a fight. So I do think understanding from the coach's standpoint, like quite frankly, like early, late, like there's going to be a fight if the coaches aren't on the same page with the practice tempo and they aren't fostering an environment where it's like, Hey, like that's nonsense. Like for example, and against new England, like, um, Belichick got up in front of the team. It was like, if anyone gets in a fight, you will not practice for the rest of the week. And that is a huge, huge thing, especially for a guy like me, who's trying to make the team. If I don't practice for the rest of the week, like, you know, getting cut. I'm getting cut. Right. Exactly. So it's like, well, I better be smart about how I'm handling this. And when that guy pushes me after the whistle, like I can't push him back because I got to be here for the next five days. So I think establishing those types of rules are even more important than like where it is in the training camp hierarchy. Cause like you said, it's annoying, but it, joint practices are annoying regardless. And guys are just up. It's just, it's like this. And it's the, it's ultimate competitive guys in a very competitive environment. No one wants to look bad. So how does the, how do coaches handle it? How do position coaches handle it? How does team leadership handle it? And again, like there's value there too, because it shows you what kind of leadership you have on, on your squad and what kind of team you are. But it's yeah. very hard not to get in a fight in these situations. Hard Knocks last year, Dan Campbell and uh, Frank Reich uh, talked about that before their joint practices with the Colts and Lions. And they, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think they had anything. There was maybe like one shoving thing, but like yeah. there wasn't the giant fracas yeah. a la the, the Houston thing. Yeah. With, you know, D-Hop and D-Hall and, um, you know, all that happened. The Jets thing was a melee in 20, whatever that was. That was nuts. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Jay was not. That was not one of Jay's strengths. That was for sure. Um, but I do think someone like Ron, like Ron and Harbaugh, yeah, I don't anticipate any problems um, yeah, with, so with that crew. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, got to handle we'll it well. You got to handle it well. And um, you know, I could see hard. It's it's just it's tough because if one if one coach comes at it and says something different to their team, like hey, we want to win the practice, and then the other coach comes back and says, oh, we lost the practice, like just that that wording that relationship with the players because no one wants to look like look bad so you're going to come out and it's going to be a full speed practice someone's going to tackle someone to the ground someone's going to finish a block and then everyone is heated because no one wants to look bad and it's going to be a like a 300 battle you know what i mean everyone's just going to charge across the field at each other and you know like it's braveheart or something so yeah i will (laughs) say that uh 20 whatever it was where uh against the jets like the brawl was fairly close i mean that one was scary because like you you know remember how it was in richmond right where like yeah, yeah. you had the fans up on you know kind of going up on the hill and we as media sat kind of between the you know on the inside of the rope yeah. between the field and the fans and that thing started like right in front of us and all of us were like get the hell out of dodge <laughs> um which was also hilarious because then you had the pr staff yelling at us to not film it and oh, really? all the fans were allowed to film it and oh. it was just like this is dumb um, but like my first concern was, and I remember literally thinking this, Trent Williams is punching people. I need to get out of yeah. the way and make sure that I don't accidentally get hit here. Yeah. Um, but getting out of the way. And then that with him was super scary because once we were out of the way, 
uh, it just kept spilling over and like almost went into the stands slash might have gone into the stands. And that's obviously incredibly scary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, from a, like a PR perspective, not what you want to showcase. Hey, oh, come watch our practice yeah. where we all get in a 300 uh, style <laughs> battle royale. Um, but, you know, hopefully uh, it's successful. And, and like we said, there's a huge, huge amount huge of upside benefit. to it. But this and, is the, and, the drawback is that you get one day of practice or one and a half days of practice. So. Yeah. But I mean, the, the good, the good thing, uh, for the commanders is they get those, uh, kind of enhanced practices after they miss two during OTAs. If we didn't yeah. mention that, uh, I think we did mention it yeah, earlier in the show it, yeah. because of the over contact last year, uh, commanders stripped to some OTA practices. So getting those joint practices, uh, they're not bonus practices, but they are probably better quality practices yeah. and they feel even more important this year. All right. Uh, we will have more on OTAs and everything on Wednesday as they'll be getting ready to get started. Uh, so we will see you then in the meantime, make sure that you are subscribed wherever you're watching or listening right now, especially if you're watching on YouTube where you like to consume YouTube content. Also go subscribe to the Team 980's YouTube page. We stream the Hoffman Show there each and every day from 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, so yeah, check that out. We'll see you on the radio. See you back here on the podcast uh, later in the week. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig. Thanks for listening or watching uh, to Take Command.